Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm your host, Miriam Anzevin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan Seligson and Kali Foxman, director of Jewish Boston. We've reunited the dream team from our Fauda podcast episode because we just can't stop watching Israeli shows on Netflix. Dan and Kali, so glad to reunite our little squad here. Well, this is great. We should do this every week. And may I say we're all having fantastic hair days. Especially you, Dan. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Well, Dan, if uh, Netflix keeps us up, we just might do this every week. We're here to talk about When Heroes Fly, an Israeli show that was recently released on Netflix starring our beloved Boaz from Fauda, Tomer Capone. We binged When Heroes Fly so we could provide you with some hot takes on this new release and frankly because we've forgotten how to watch TV in ways that aren't binging. Binge watching TV is pretty much my primary life skill at this point. <laughs> Our regular listeners should guess this, but yeah, we're probably going to have some spoilers from the show, so we want to give you a heads up about that as well as the possibility of some adult language here. But not as episode. much as we fucking ruin Fauda for every fucking person out there. Damn it, Dan. Go on. Jesse, you can edit all that oh, out. Oh, goodness. Okay, so as we mentioned in our Fauda episode, Netflix is really hitting its stride here with getting Israeli TV shows into our living rooms. Um, here's the brief description of When Heroes Fly from Netflix. Years after a bitter falling out, four Israeli military veterans reunite and travel to Colombia in search of a loved one they'd presumed to be dead. So I will tell you, after gasping my way through Fauda, I took a few weeks off to kind of chill and watch some cooking shows and stuff before jumping into another, what I thought would be an uber-intense Israeli drama. Um, I did not. I jumped right in pretty much immediately, watched the whole season in one weekend, and we can debate whether that is healthy or not, but that is what I did. Yes, I did the same thing. Kali was a few episodes behind me, and I was texting her like, oh my god, have you gotten to this part? Have you seen this? (laughs) Um, The show follows four main characters that were united from their time in the military in the 2006 Lebanon War, and the story jumps forwards and backwards in time to see how they were all impacted by events between the past and the present. We've got Aviv, played by Tomer Capone of Fauda, a deeply traumatized and kind of sweaty young man whose PTSD was compacted by the supposed death of his ex-girlfriend, Ya'eli, played by Ninette Tayeb. I hope I'm saying that right. I do apologize if not. You, he was sweaty. You were well, saying that correctly. Well, he was sweaty. I was saying that right. Yeah. <laughs> then there's the aristocratic Dota, nicknamed Himmler, played by my future husband, Michael Aloni. We should add at this point that Netflix also recently added Michael's show, Stissel, to its roster, so that might be next on our binging schedule. Nadav Netz plays Duby, Yaeli's brother, the orthodox medic struggling with his faith, and Moshe Ashkenazi plays recovering addict Benda. The show highlights how in Israel, mandatory army service is this melting pot that throws diverse groups like this one together, Ashkenazi, Mizrahi, Orthodox, different economic backgrounds, people with bad haircuts, people with good haircuts. These formative experiences bond them like brothers for life, but the loss of their beloved commander, Azulai, tears them apart, and the apparent death of Ya'eli keeps them hating each other for a decade as they go their separate paths. Benda opening a hummus shop in Colombia with his girlfriend after recovering from drug addiction, Doobie as a teacher who has lost faith, Himmler as a successful businessman who can wear a suit like nobody's business, whose days are numbered due to cancer, and Aviv whose life has become totally and completely derailed by mental illness and PTSD. So let's jump right in. Let's get into our thoughts, feelings, and emotions on this show. Dan, let's hear your incorrect opinions first. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be the contrarian officially Mm -hmm. today. 
And, you know, as we discussed in our past episode about Fauda, which was its own kind of safe trauma, that is, it was incredibly intense and hard to watch, even from the safety of one's living room, which you kind of forget that you're in. That show to me was so incredibly well constructed and the direction and plotting were so masterful that I just, you know, I was just completely immersed and completely sold. You know, bad things happen to good people. Right and wrong is blurred. No one is spared tragedy. And then I sat down to watch another Israeli show that also centers around the theme of trauma. And frankly, I was expecting something more intense, more compelling, more involving, and something that would have had me finding a character or two who I could kind of cling on to and be fascinated by, wanting to know more about their story and their motivations. And for me, it fell short in a number of different areas. Is it fair to gauge this show against Fauda because they're both from Israel? Not really. But Netflix thinks it is because as soon as you finish Fauda, it'll say, we recommend watching When Heroes Fly. So I did what they recommended a couple weeks after I took my, you know, cooking show break, a couple episodes of Chop to relax and um, moved right on to When Heroes Fly and was a little bit disappointed. Uh, I'll say that exploring the topic of trauma and PTSD was actually very compelling to me. I jumped right from Fauda into this show, um, but I felt like it delved into the aspects of army service that Fauda didn't really touch on, which I appreciated, like the lingering effects of trauma felt so real and intense for all the characters. Yeah, I stand with Kali on this one. Here's how I kind of viewed the show's treatment of PTSD and trauma, which differs for each character. So Aviv has a complete incapacitating breakdown from what happened in Lebanon and later what happened to Yaeli that takes over his life for a decade, although later in the show we learn that he had an even deeper trauma in his past stemming from seeing his father die when he was a child. And I should mention that the actor who plays Aviv actually did serve in Lebanon in 2006, so mad respect for revisiting that for the purposes of entertainment on the show. For Yaeli and Doobie, they're dealing with their trauma in going, quote, off the derech, you know, off the path of orthodoxy. Although in Yaeli's case, this is very literal. She's, spoiler alert, alive in the jungle of Colombia. That's right there in the show description. We know she's alive. (laughs) I found this aspect of the story pretty compelling as a formerly orthodox person myself. And I... I did feel a lot for Yaeli, and one of the flashback sequences, we see Aviv in the midst of his breakdown tell Yaeli he doesn't love her anymore and kicks her out of his life, and not to get too personal here and bring down the vibe of this episode, but that's something that actually happened to me just a few months ago. So girl, I feel ya. This was very raw. And if I hadn't had an amazing group of supportive friends that include the two people here on the podcast with me today, I might have run away to Columbia too, although probably not because of the bugs. I would have come and found you. Thank you. Oh my God. But hopefully not <laughs> with like 10 Dan years I later. I would have brought <laughs> no water, no food, and a tiny backpack. We would have we, gone through the jungle for an indeterminate amount of time mm-hmm. to find you. I'm very we touched would. by that. <laughs> so back to the other characters. Himmler's trauma and guilt stems from how he kind of triggered the breakup of this uh, core four character group right after Azulai's death when he blames Aviv for leaving Azulai on the battlefield, even though Aviv had no choice because everyone else was going to die if he stayed. Um, And I think that guilt kind of eats at him for, you know, 11 years and his cancer on top of that is a pretty complex set of emotions. And then we've got Benda and the, I guess we'll call him villain, the pale father, Mm -hmm. Um, both uh, Israeli expats seeking redemption through drugs. And then we've got Noga, the best character on this whole show who is only introduced in the seventh episode, who seeks to deal with her traumatic past through pursuing justice for her family who was killed in a car bombing and for Israelis in general. So let me just clarify my broadside because while <laughs> I, I I definitely didn't like this show as much as either of you did, 
my primary issue with the show, I, I thought that the portrayal of PTSD was really good and, and really interesting. And frankly, it was the only thing that kept me watching. What killed me was the pacing. The mm -hmm. pacing was painful at times. I mean, I have never watched a show for 10 episodes, approximately seven hours, where I didn't finish it saying they could have done that in a 95-minute movie. But I really do think that they, they really could have done the amount of exposition mm -hmm. and plotting and pacing and just hurried it up a little bit so that, I don't know, people like me who have the other four initials, ADHD, I don't know <laughs> if I'm never diagnosed, but could be able to deal with a show that, that you know, just moves a little bit more quickly. And I wanted to get back to your very interesting comparison between Benda and Pale Father um, and drugs. I felt like Benda was trying to escape the horrors he saw in the battlefield with drugs, and the Pale Father was trying to find some magical portal through which, by being super high, uh, he would be able to go back in time, experience deep trauma, and communicate with the people who were part of that trauma to kind of clear shit up. Uh, and But then there's the pale father who is essentially a slaveholder. So is he a good guy who has a terrible thing on his conscience? Well, he's holding a couple dozen people as slaves. And you know how he holds these people as slaves isn't necessarily clear, or why he does it isn't clear. But we know he likes drugs and believes that they have a therapeutic purpose for people who um, he enslaves and occasionally kills with his therapeutic drugs. It sounds like ayahuasca, his weird yeah, clay drug. that's what I thought um, too. Like ayahuasca. I feel like he was looking for a shortcut to be able to heal from past trauma, and he was experimenting with this drug to be able to help people go back to a traumatic memory and change the memory entirely. And I'm sure many of us wish that were possible. Yes. But yeah. Uh, but therapy exists to help us move through the pain to be able to integrate that experience into our life story. And sadly, there are no shortcuts for healing. There's no way out but through. And in the end, I found it interesting that during Aviv's drug-induced high, or whatever we'll call that, uh, he realized he would make the exact same decision again. He wouldn't change what happened because the truth is we can't really change what happened. We just have to deal with it and move forward. Yeah. I thought his commander was stuck under an enormous piece of concrete. There was nothing that he, he could He wasn't have done. getting out of that. Well, no. he also had a metal rod going through his. Yes, he was, he also was impaled. dying. But he I was impaled and stuck under a rock. In that very first episode when they have the four of them have a fight in a hallway, an argument, right after they've been sort of interviewed by the military about what happened. Um, pretty much Himmler's deal is like, I know we wouldn't have all lived, but you got to die sometime, so we should have all died with Azulai. So that's what he was saying. He's saying, you left him on the battlefield to save us. That wasn't a good enough excuse. That's, you know, and that's another reason why I thought that that whole backstory was a bit strange because if it was a morally ambiguous situation where a character had to make a, a difficult choice that led to someone dying, maybe that would be something that would drive the plot a little bit more effectively for me. But what happened to Aviv seemed to me to be a fairly cut and dry situation. Like there's a terrible car crash. There's someone who has, you know, the steering column stuck through their chest. They're on their, you know, final moments of life. And the car is about to blow up because you see fire coming toward the, yeah. the But you know, I think the gas part tank. of it is that as an army unit, you never leave yes. a soldier behind. And he couldn't even, he couldn't do anything to really even get him away before the explosion happened. Like, even if he knew he wasn't yeah. going to make it, he literally had to just, like, leave him trapped there. And there were other... Uh, 
injured soldiers who had a better chance of survival, including Himmler. So there's a... I'm going to ask my rabbi this question, Miriam. Yes, uh, my son. I was like, th- there is, <laughs> we, have, we have military ethics, and then we have Jewish ethics. Mm-hmm. And the Jewish ethics suggests that the highest mitzvah you of gotta all save a life, is man. to save a life. He saved by not yeah. standing there and mm-hmm. you know, uselessly trying to pick up a God knows how many pound concrete slab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He decided that the best thing to do is to save the other 12 people, not himself. I don't think he cared about himself no. at that point. He was saving the people who were injured and those who weren't yet. And also, Azulai was like, dude, you got to go. Yeah, Azulai he was, was instructed, commanded, commanded by his commander to yeah, leave. Azulai mm-hmm. commanded him to take everybody else and leave. Azulai was able to recognize. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, maybe Azulai had a little bit of a martyr complex. Like you see him kind of smiling as, as he's looking up in the sky and the, the missile is inbound mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to blow him up. But, you know, he's, he's sacrificed his life so that everybody else in his troop could live. And I think mm-hmm. that he made his peace with that, and he was okay with that. Um, it's just everybody who survived who had problems with that decision. And then there was the second part of Aviv's guilt, which is the map, that he's the one who is supposed to find the route. He's mm-hmm. the one who right. he's the only got one them. He knew he how to get home. He was sort of, uh, command was dumped on his shoulders after Azulai was was gone. It was only him. He was the only. He had to live. He couldn't stay there with Azulai because he knew the way home, and they were so close to being home, and so close to their families and wives and children and whatever that it fell to him to have to take that hard decision. Even if he wanted to die on the battlefield there with Azulai, he couldn't. Everybody else was, except maybe Himmler, counting on him. Mm-hmm. But did he think that it was his fault that they got into that situation in the first place, or did they? They all had a conversation no, about let's his, go see that tank. One thing that I did find very interesting about the first episode and the first 10-minute sequence when they're in Lebanon is the issue of, like, miscommunication or delayed communication in the military. You know, just a a communication error could lead to so much damage. And they're, you know, they're about – Israel is about to blow up this tank that they abandoned and left behind because Mm -hmm. they don't want Hezbollah to get um, all the intel and maps and tech that's in that tank. And it was just – by virtue of a brief, like, uh, you know, timing issue that they were there and they got ambushed by Hezbollah and then this whole thing happened. Mm -hmm. But I thought that was a very, very fascinating kind of exploration on even with modern technology and a very disciplined and um, famous army like Israel, you still have human error. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and just the the idea that, you know, on, on the battlefield, it really does seem like a yeah, it's a fair fight. Like you think, okay, Hezbollah is not as well armed; they're not as well but, trained. You know, they they're, were ambushed. They the technology, yeah. and these guys were reserves. Like I know that we talked. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk in the show about how Aviv used to be, um, you know, special forces or whatever. I think, but so these guys were just reserves. So we can't really expect them to be being able to do everything that active military personnel were prepared or ready to do. They were still soldiers, but this wasn't their job anymore, and they were brought in because they had to be. Don't you kind of wish, though, that you could you could put yourself in Aviv's shoes and say, I would have done something differently. Yes, I would be totally racked with guilt. But when you do put yourself in his shoes, you say, what else could he have possibly done in mm-hmm. that situation, that impossible situation? Why, you know, of course, PTSD is its own kind of, right. of, of issue. But this particular incident, what could he have done differently to change the outcome of what happened there? I don't believe there actually was anything, at least with the information we as the viewers are provided with. 
as far as I can tell, there wasn't anything. Yeah, there was. Didn't no you feel like the show hinged out. on that though? This that he no. he had to reconcile with, well, with what happened. Yes and no, but well, I think he that he still made a choice. Like, yeah, the thing I think one of the things that they were mad about as well is that Azulai wasn't dead when they left him. Right, mm. like he still made a choice to leave him there. Right. Um, and, and we also don't know if they saw the condition he was in. Like I Aviv think only was close, Aviv saw and that. I don't even know if they knew he was impaled. Yeah. Or, like, and maybe if they had enough time and could call in a helicopter, Azulay might have lived. You right. see that in movies and TV all the time. Yeah. So it's possible, but they didn't have that window of time to evacuate him. Right. They were still under attack. Yeah. Continuity question. Yeah. Let's say they spent another couple minutes getting the helicopter in, and the Hezbollah guys actually caught up and got inside of the tank. Okay, it didn't take them very long to bomb that tank. Couldn't they have waited for all the Hezbollah guys to get to it and then bomb it and then in the process take care of some of their enemies? No, I didn't write this show. Okay. Good That's question. not the only but issue I that do, I have. I do think that there actually is – I know we talked about how Aviv says he wouldn't have done anything differently, but I did notice a tiny difference in what we actually see in the first episode. And then when Aviv has this, <laughs> this drug-induced vision of the past – there actually is one difference, and that difference is Azulai dies. Or you think like he releases his hand in a different way that makes it seem like he's lost consciousness or something. There's like oh. so maybe it was he was gonna die, nothing you could do. It didn't really matter if his eyes were closed or open, it was the same yeah. deal. I think that's what I would say. Now we've talked about that depressing <laughs> sequence. Talk about our favorite or most meaningful parts of the show. I I know she only showed up in episode seven. But Noga, I just loved her no, and God, her, no, yeah, God, and her no, sidekick <laughs> Yaki, and there, there, there Israeli cops who are on the case of why uh, Israelis who have come back from Colombia are having weird hallucinations and then yeah. killing themselves off these drugs that they found in the jungle there. So I just loved their whole plot, and she was the best. And I just am disappointed they waited until episode seven to introduce her. Totally agree on Noga. I feel like she was a enormous mug of Colombian coffee who yes. <laughs> injected some energy and life into a show that through the middle episodes really plotted along as they were plotting along in the jungle. We had to wait seven episodes, but I, I Noga was worth the wait. Yeah, she mm. really was. I also love when the Colombian police guy asks her, because she wants to go along on the mission at the end, he's like, have you ever been in the jungle in your life? And she's like, I come from Israel. And I was like, <laughs> yes, girl. Which is you funny, do. because there's no jungle, to my knowledge. Dan, But I think me. it was just like, yeah, I'm badass. She's like, dude, there's no environment on this earth or circumstance mm -hmm. that I can't excel at and I kick can't ass handle, at. Yeah. Like the jungle, yes. Desert, yes. The moon, sure. Mm -hmm. So I would love if next She's season like, just I got focused this. on her. Yeah. yeah. And apparently you don't need water, food, insect repellent, you know, sunblock or anything to go into the jungle in Colombia. You just walk there with but a day pack. you do need guns. They did get guns. Yes. Mm. Although, so, as, as I might mention later, they don't seem to know how to use them very effectively. We'll get into that a little bit. <laughs> I think think you really liked how Noga. Yeah, I like how she really got closure in the end. It was super satisfying. Yes, it's always that was really really good. Um, I found the way in which the show depicted Aviv's first PTSD attack, the visualization of it, very impactful. He's you know this is after two thousand and six. He seems to be fine. He's with you, Ellie. Um, he opened a bar. Everything seems to be going great, and then he just has this attack, and you see the walls of the bar crumbling around him. And no one else can see this. This is just him. Um, but it's a really kind of powerful way 
of of thinking about how his life is crumbling, how mm-hmm. his mental kind of structure and sense of self are is crumbling around him too. And I also really liked his later in the series his drug induced vision of Azulai, who helps him uh, navigate in the jungle when he's lost. And I really I really love that. And I liked how when he finally gets back to Israel, he checks in with his therapist before he checks in with his mom. And this is a kind of like a full circle from the first episode where he really is just so angry and doesn't want to talk to the therapist because he doesn't feel like he's made any progress in nine years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and he, he can't really talk to her, but he knows he wants to see her. And um, he just, you know, he, he actually sees her before he goes and sees his mother. <laughs> yeah, and I love when he says to his therapist, maybe we can just sit here in silence. Yeah. I was crying. I was very was emotional Very that touching. part, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also loved um, Aviv and Himmler's heart-to-heart in the jungle prison. That really touched me. It was so clear they've been carrying so much pain for a decade and have never opened up to each other like this. So it was really poignant. Yeah. I cried at that, they too. Have only, if they had just talked to each other beforehand. If they had just gone to therapy together, all four of these people. Family therapy <laughs> right. for all of them. This would have been so different. Mm. Um, so there's some other interesting observations about this show I kind of like the fact that both the heroes and the villains on the show are Israeli and it wasn't like here's another you know nationality they're the villains it wasn't like the villain was Colombian or something it was Israelis running the show in Mm -hmm. both sides of this the pale father you discover towards the end of the series was also an IDF soldier whose whole troop was bombed he lost mm-hmm. his whole troop, and that's kind of the impetus for him going on this journey to f- try to find a drug that allows him to kind of revisit the past and alleviate that feeling. So you get, oh, you're like, oh, okay. I kind of, you know, yeah, you're evil, but yeah, I get you. <laughs> it was and, so weird. Yeah. You know, there's a subtext of, like, Israelis going on walkabout. Like, everyone but knew that there was know, a hostel where right. Israelis stay in. But, but we know that happens. This is a, yeah. a real phenomenon that... Israelis, after they get out of the their army service, a lot of them choose to travel the world to decompress from what they've seen and the you know just being in the military for those years, and um, you know they end up all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I really kind of liked how Yaeli was depicted in Israel. She's brave and straightforward. She goes to Aviv's bar after she breaks up with Himmler because she wants to be with Aviv and isn't going to wait for him to make the first move. And I I like that about her. But once his PTSD kicks in and he kicks her out, she crumbles. It's really hard to see because she's pregnant and he doesn't know that. But she rebuilds herself in the jungle after her near-death experience in the car wreck. It's just a different kind of bravery and maybe a crazy defiant kind of bravery to be like yeah I'm gonna join this cult now but she didn't have a lot to go back to you know her partner had kicked her out and her family wasn't really big fans of her because she's not religious anymore there's this really painful sequence where her mom sees her in one of the flashbacks and yeah Ellie's wearing like a tank top dress or something and the mom's like if you have no self-respect for yourself at least you know cover up so your your dad doesn't see your shame or something to that effect which Mm -hmm. is really hard to hard to see um but I actually thought of the way you know she was brave to start a whole new life in the jungle with her baby and I think we've all or at least I have been in a place where we're like I bet they'd think about me differently if I were dead and she really got that experience except she didn't die really yeah I mean I was really sad for her that she felt like she couldn't go home and that she thought a random jungle was the best place to raise her baby um 
And then Miriam, what you just alluded to before is it made me sad to think like if only these people had talked to each other during the prior decade, so much was buried and not spoken about and they all suffered tremendously for it. But there would have been no reason for them to reconnect except maybe at a funeral. Well, but I mean, just so to make tight. amends, right, as like a unit. They were so close. You see them as such close friends. They were like brothers. Yeah. Yeah. They it were was interesting when, they, when they're reunited at long last and they're in the taxi or the somebody's car in yeah. Bogota and they're, and they're driving down the street and someone tar- starts talking. It For a minute, there's levity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they say, this isn't a reunion. Right. Or Aviv says, this isn't a reunion. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just stop. We're like, not having fun. We're not here to be together. They left off, but the, they, so much has been left unsaid that they need to like yeah. get that all out. And first. they've all made assumptions about each other, especially yes. Aviv and Himmler. Mm-hmm. Himmler thinks that Aviv hates him for what he said, I'm assuming in the hallway, mm-hmm. you know, blaming him for Azulai's death. And, you know, I think Aviv feels the same way about, and they vice versa. You know, they both the think other the other one hates them. them. Breaks my heart. Yeah. So, Kali, what were your sort of general questions slash thoughts? Yes, I have many. Number one, since when can you call a newspaper? <laughs> you numbered your thoughts. I love it. Go for it. <laughs> since when can you call a newspaper and get the home address of a photographer working for them? This is a great question. Like when, I, that I mean, too. this is present like, day. Like, I don't safe. think you can just do that. Okay, so that's one thing. Aviv basically hasn't left his mother's house in nine years, and he just ups and flies to Colombia. I actually found this fascinating that he was propelled forward mm-hmm. um, by this revelation. And then I wonder, like, what if Benda hadn't called him? Like, would there have been, would there have been anything in his life that would have prompted him to change from the status quo that he was living we don't know and then how many days were they in the jungle and did they ever eat no yeah, we they have did, some thoughts about eat. this like what's eat. in their backpacks like we know we know that in an, one of the first or second episodes doobie's wife packs him tuna fish cans and corn because you know for, for him to keep kosher and we know he's not really observant. We find out he's having a crisis of faith, but she still packs it for him. And thank God, because otherwise, I guess I they no survived they on like a few cans yeah. of like corn yeah. and tuna. And all he wanted like, was spam and bacon bits right. for this entire trip. Right. So and she packed some tuna. We are asked to suspend some. So really, um, thank you to Kashrut. <laughs> for the survival but of like these the water okay so i mean yes not sure what happened there poor himmler he's like coughing up a lung this whole time yeah. and i just like get that guy some weed he needs the pain relief well it's yeah. very hard to find drugs in colombia so i'm sure that was a real <laughs> challenge for him i would have gotten him all the weed he needed anything he needed at all same would have gotten for him <laughs> <laughs> okay next is i i have some legitimate questions about how on earth Doobie would have had Maria, that's Benda's girlfriend's cell phone number, somehow memorized for when he comes across a satellite phone deep in this jungle to call for help. Yeah, I don't even have my mom's number memorized, and I'm embarrassed, and I shouldn't have said that out loud on this podcast, but I did. Yeah, like how, maybe because he's in the military and they had to memorize numbers and stuff. but like what yeah, occasion would, what occasion would he have to <laughs> even know her phone number like he just met her like one day ago maybe they were like so. when when her uncle hands over all the guns they're like oh and here's my number <laughs> yeah. here's, here's just, a post-it on the bottom of the, of the see, barrel here and just flip it over and call me whenever you need me yeah i also felt like alicia who the real name of the pale father is super evil like he 
to me, he was like the most evil. He was, it was almost like he was making other people pay for his own PTSD. And it really bothered me that he lied to Yelly and told her she was the lone survivor of the car accident. When in fact, there was a man who also survived. I feel like he manipulated her into staying. Like, I don't know if that would have changed Mm. anything about how she felt about it, but he knew they were looking for her. And so that was pretty selfish of him. And it kind of pissed me off. So he, he's insane, right? And he's running a cult. And the reason why we know he's running a cult is not because there's any sort of dogma that's discussed in the show. We know it because they're wearing brown clothing that are all the same (laughs) and they live in huts. So that's, that's supposed to tell you they're in a cult. But like how and why are they buying into his shit? Like whatever it is he's trying to sell, like we don't even know. Like they're so, they seem to be very dedicated to him, but like, where did they come from? How did he right. find so them? So they're all unarmed because Pale Father had yeah. spoken previously about wanting no guns. Right. Um, they're all younger than him. They all appear to be in better physical condition than him. Yeah. There are at least 10 or 15 people under the age of 30 who could easily combine and take him out with a few rocks and sticks. Or just But walk they stay back to because the of the dogma we don't know well, about. I think that this would well, have been better. So in the show, we do see one attempt at the use of this medication slash drug mm-hmm. to revisit uh, one of the cult members. It's, it's his time. Was he speaking English? Was it, was he an no, American soldier, possibly? I don't, I don't think so. I think it was still... I don't know, but okay. I, I'm getting the sense that a lot... That, that it's for people in the military or who have suffered other traumas. And when it's their time, he puts the this... Uh, Beautiful mask, this mud mask that makes sort your skin a, a really must, nice. Sort of a handlebar yeah. mustache made of it's a like, white paste. It's like, yeah, exactly. It makes your skin really clear and it trips, you know, makes you trip. I, you know, ideally we would have seen a successful use of this and then you would have understood, the viewer would have he understood, oh, that's why they're all into this. It's effective. But we see instead one guy think it's effective and then he dies. Right. And then one woman, like when they were out picking berries or whatever, yeah. she says to the other guy, like, what, like, when's it my turn? Like, right. I want to go through the portal. And he's like, y- like, you'll know when you know, or like some, some, something right. super so, vague. And, and, and we're like, why are they there? Was he previously what? very successful? And we just don't know about it. And that's how his legend spread. And that's why all these people are here. But I think he was never. And he thought Aviv was going to be the one right. who like would make it through. Mm. And that would be his like success story. So, and everything that we know about this drug that we see in the show, the trips that people have, the, the guy mm-hmm. having a seizure and dying. What about that makes you think this is a marketable drug that a Colombian drug lord would, in fact, turn his life upside down to go into the jungle and create this factory to produce this drug that sucks? Who wants this but drug? Under the right circumstances, but I, I think, probably do it. But I think they didn't know that like people All right, we have one customer. were then urged, not urged, sorry, that they had the the urge to um, commit suicide to die right by suicide um, that's why Noga gets involved in this because there's a spate of young Israelis who have used this drug like it and seems then, like a party drug right, when they it buy seems it fun and then they 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 look too deeply into their past but doesn't word get around themselves. like doesn't word get around when a drug you sucks you think Dan well right? Dan, we don't know come on. you know we that's know. not true you know okay, that people uh, will still do whatever okay let's say we go to leafly.com and right. look up this white smeary stuff you put on it your face it would leafly. say it's happiness zero not a leaf uh, yeah relaxation zero right freak out and have a seizure like Bar all the way to the maximum. (laughs) Well, that's why the stuff was not on Leafly. There's no value add that I I saw to this drug. Yeah, no, but we did. If unless you're misusing it, it. but but here's the thing: it's like just this tiny smear of this goo, and you're like unpleasantly high because they're shaking on you. Maybe it was just a wrong dosage. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah there was no appropriate at one point, At one point, this part really freaked me out. Back in Israel, Noga is making some interrogations about, mm-hmm. you know, who did this come from? Where did it come from? And one of the, the guys she's interviewing, like the criminal, leaps across the table and yeah. puts some in her Shoves mouth. it in her mouth. And freaked out. And she goes into the bathroom and like washes out her mouth. But still, she's even, already high. She's still, she's already high. And this is when you find out, you, you see kind of like the backstory of her husband and child's. Uh, now, I yeah. will have you know yeah. that, yeah. okay. That if was you, effective. If you don't go through the portal, the high seems to last between 12 and 14 hours. If you do yeah. go through the portal, it only lasts seven minutes. That's apparently <laughs> That's true. what we learned from a view. That's how drugs if work. If you take an enormous dose of it and <laughs> right. you have the kind of trip as advertised, <laughs> okay. right. the drug will swiftly leave your body and leave you right where you were, happy like and content clay. that you've solved your past problems. But it looks like clay, but they're making it from a flower. <laughs> and I just have a lot of questions about like, the formulation. So many questions about this drug. <laughs> I could, we need origin. I, I need like yeah, an origin story. How, how the drug came series, to be made. So five many. episode right. series. You see, yeah, Ellie, you see, Ellie, you see like a bunch of the cult people who are like now trapped. They can't get out. Uh, working on their various jobs, and she's her basically her job is to crush like yeah, she's the crusher flowers. Another guy's the sifter. Six. Okay, my last point here Make just more. about the child in the jungle. Ben, yeah, Ellie's child. He looks way younger than nine to me. So, Dan, I just wanted you to back me up on this as an actual father. Yeah, like, have, how uh, would you age that child? I have an eight-year-old who's not particularly tall for her age, and she would be stepping on his head accidentally because <laughs> yeah, he was, was about like, two feet tall. Yeah, he, he also, was maybe four or five. Yeah, he also looked a bit too, like, quaffed for me. And I was he like... He's a great I haircut. A, I actually. was like, He's he needs a shaggier haircut. jungle look. Yeah. But anyway. I mean, but speaking of hair, I have to, I have to talk about mm-hmm. this because this deeply bothered me. They didn't have the budget on this show to get better extensions for Ellie's hair to show that time had passed. You know, they have her with, her hair is clearly shoulder length, but they've clipped in like three or four longer pieces that go down to her waist. So somebody needs to call Ariana Grande's people to get deets on where you get those good extensions. Yeah. And also, Benda's haircut. (laughs) Why is it so bad? Is it a mohawk? It's so we better also know, as a mohawk than not as a mohawk, though. It's okay, as someone so who shaves what's left of their hair yes, on a weekly basis, that. I have to tell you that they were in the jungle for about three hours based <laughs> on what happened to his hair. It never grew. He yeah. shaved, you know, the, the sides were shaved very, very close, yet they never got any longer. So either in that tiny little day pack that he had, he put yeah. in a, a cordless uh, <laughs> shaver or... They just weren't there for very long, maybe 45 minutes, maybe three hours. Who knows? Didn't need food, didn't need water, didn't need a haircut. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of questionable yeah. things. I mean, going back to the cult for one second, there's still so many questions there. But, um, you know, like, why is Alicia always in such a deep V-neck fabric, like, <laughs> shirt wrap thing? It's from the cult attire <laughs> store. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Um, we could add to that. Why in the first episode does Aviv's shirt completely <gasps> lack? A neck line. Oh, yeah. He it's cuts like the necks out of all of his shirts, it looks like. Yeah. With sleeves, like short it's, sleeves. It's very style, peculiar. style, I guess. Um, like he doesn't have mauled, much of a life outside of the house. Like it, it was mauled like. by a bear. And speaking of bears, I want to talk about the fact that mm-hmm. the Pale Father's real name is Alicia. And in the Tanakh, let's do some Jewish stuff right now. Alicia is the disciple of Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu the prophet. And when Eliyahu pieces out and ascends to heaven, Alicia takes over. And at one point, some kids come out and laugh at him because he's bald and and i didn't say it was nice i just said it happened and he summons (laughs) to take revenge on these children i mean in the very literal reading of the story he summons a bear 
to kill all these kids. So I, w- <laughs> I wondered if the use of the name Alicia was sort of, I don't know, meaningful in some way. I couldn't find a parallel, but I did think of it as soon as they said his name was Alicia. Uh, that's pretty thin-skinned. Most bald guys stop worrying about it when they hit around 26. Well, I don't know how old he was. Mm. Between 26 and 60. How do you know? Is that a midrash? <laughs> Let's talk about it. Um, so my last random thought before moving on to Miriam's is, uh, what did Himmler whisper while dying? Like, why was the sound so quiet right then? Like, I kept replaying it, but I got nothing. I replayed it, and I didn't get it. I think he was going, my suits. My suits. <laughs> Who will wear them like I did? Like there yeah, were no really subtitles and like he was clearly speaking. His lips were moving. Right. But we Maybe didn't he catch was it. Schma. I don't know. Mm, Anything's okay. possible. Okay. My thoughts. Where the hell is Aviv and Yaeli's dog? Introduced in one scene in episode one when Aviv comes back from the war and the dog gets to the door before Yaeli and is so happy to see him. And then we never hear or see from that dog again. And I'm, that's where my main area of concern is. What happened to that dog? It was a very cute pit bull mix or something. So that's thing one. <laughs> in, in my second rewatch of the first episode, just because I wanted to kind of figure out the timeline a little bit, I noticed that Benda says to Himmler while they're in Lebanon, good luck with getting, with getting cancer. Mm. And uh, it was something about how he didn't have chlorine tablets for the water, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if that was foreshadowing or actually connected to his real cancer. You I'm know, not sure. that's wild. Aviv drank river water. Oh, I thought about the, that. I was like, he's going to die. In this yeah. valley of God knows what's yeah. going on agriculturally above yeah. it. Oh, yeah. He was just fine. I, well, I, I he think, was already in real bad shape, so yeah, maybe you just couldn't true. tell. That's true. So let's see. I, I was so thrilled that despite being set in the jungle – this show had no bug close-ups. This is mm. so vital and important to me. <laughs> also very unrealistic. We didn't see a single... And I don't care, and that's fine. I saw some flies. ...jungle creature. I appreciated it. I saw some it flies. Okay. So I heard no birds. ...that I didn't see mm-hmm. one horrible thing. I'm so yeah. pleased. Okay. Just like in Fauda, we get a sense of how casual Israeli society is when it comes to what people are wearing, like funerals, weddings, everyday life. Just T-shirts, jeans, sandals... Except Himmler, because he has great suits, which symbolizes his aloofness and disdain for what the status quo is for other people who aren't rich like him. <laughs> that was to set him apart, so we knew that he was, we never forgot that right, he was rich. Right, we never right? forgot he was rich, because he was wearing mm-hmm. suits. Mm-hmm. So my random thoughts, which continue to be very positive about this show. Uh, Doobie's <laughs> big reveal is that he's faking being an observant Jew. Oh, my God. <laughs> That he waters the plants when he tells his wife he's in the living room davening and she would never walk in and check on him davening. My God, that is the most disappointing reveal that I've seen on TV in a long time. I think it would have been different had you ever been Orthodox. Because when he re- he revealed that, I was like, oh, that makes sense. I used to be Reform. That doesn't really count <laughs> in this context. All right. Another reveal I have to tell you about is the ineptitude of these four people who are in an action series. I mean, they held weapons. They were assigned weapons by this random uncle. But their indecision, lack of leadership, and poor aim, you know, I think they shot maybe 500 rounds and struck flesh possibly once, and it could have been their own, just, you know, said to me, all right, who are these guys? Like, you are not taking into account uh, decreased visibility due to plants, difficult terrain, they're really tired because they've been hiking mm-hmm. so much. And wind velocity, humidity, and other excuses. That they I also okay. did would say... Would Noga have missed? No, she no. wouldn't She's have. from Israel, but damn it. Yeah, but woman. they also said they alluded to the fact that they were like out of shape now, remember? Right, and they were also out of shape. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> another thing that really, really bothered me, 
I could not believe that Ben had just left Maria like in the middle of oh, a busy lunch to herself. Oh, just take care of it. You've got a restaurant full of people. We have no chef other than like, you. Just do everything. She was doing the waitress. How thing? much hummus the, can one girl make? She was doing it all. The register, the hummus, the the serving. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell, Benda? That yeah. was a dick move. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got some more pale father feelings. <laughs> I feel like when when pale father reveals his past to Aviv right before he gives him this near fatal dose of the drug, it's sort of this Darth Vader Luke thing. He says, "You have PTSD. I have PTSD. Search her feelings. You're going to run away to the jungle and start a cult that produces drugs. And you know we're all the same here. I'm your father. Right. Search her feelings. I'm your father. Mm. Why did you, Ellie, dump?" Himmler for mm, a leave. Mm, mm, mm. We Bad know that choice. this happened, and we know that no one really got upset about it. We know that Yael seems Yaeli seems to have an inability to meet people outside of her brother's very small military unit. And I don't know if that was ever an issue for anyone. Her, her friend, her, you know, her exes, her family. I, I don't know. I personally would have gone the other way and dumped Aviv for Himmler, but that's just me. Yeah. Mm. No, that's just everybody. <laughs> well, you know, the heart wants what it wants. And, you know, she did say to Aviv, I just had a good feeling about you. So she took that feeling and she ran with it. And she was wrong. So, all right, let's just get to the fact that for 35 minutes we've been talking about an Israeli Jewish guy whose name is Himmler. It's mm-hmm. because he looks so white. Everybody's like, you're the white-skinned guy. Mm-hmm. Doobie looks pretty white, too, but he's Look, not man, called Adolf. Yeah. How did this happen? That's a good question. But I think he sticks with it because that's like his whole thing is like, I do things differently. I mm-hmm. wear suits and my name is Himmler. Oh, well, I think he he likes that it gets a rise out of people yeah. too. Yeah. People who don't, who aren't in the know. Right. Did they call him that at his funeral? I can't remember. Did anyone call him Himmler at the Spoiler funeral? alert. He dies. Um, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> if they made it this far in the podcast, you know the they've can- already it, had the show spoiled. It wasn't even the cancer that did um, him in. I don't think they called him. I don't think we heard any. That's like kind of an in, an in so. joke among friends, an, an mm-hmm. in decade long Nazi joke about your best friend. Okay, yeah. all right, mm-hmm. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting to me that the three main characters have survival guilt from very similar circumstances. All three out of the four, they stepped away from a situation just before shit quite literally blew up. Mm-hmm. Yet of three, only Noga, who arguably lost the most of any of them, is the only one who seemed to be able to function at a very high level. And I really, I've said this before, but I really want the next season to be about Noga and a new cast of equally adorable Israelis. Yeah, though, let's keep Yaki. I like him. Yeah. Well, this show is going to have a second season, so let's dive in on it that that'll be the case. It's all about Noga. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, Kali, for going on this adventure with me into the Colombian jungle and into the hearts of some very damaged but lovable fictional Israelis. It was a blast. <laughs> it was a very intense experience. Yes, it certainly was. And now on to Shtisel, or whatever the heck is next on the Netflix. I'm ready. Israel I'm Bonanza. Ready. Listeners, to make sure you don't miss an episode of Jewish Boston's The Vibe of the Tribe podcast, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and this is very new and exciting. We're now on Spotify and TuneIn. Follow at Jewish Boston on social media for all our great content. Thanks as always to our editor and mascot, Jesse, to Ryan for our music, and yeah, thanks Netflix. Uh, Dubai's big reveal. Doobie, doobie. From Dubai. Doobie. Okay, Jesse, who <laughs> who made the worst flub of the day? It was Dan. <sighs> it was I don't know. I just can I you, don't can think you do Holly one? Can you just any. make one up for us right now, Kali, please? I just so wanna we... eat my cookie. That's not a blooper. No, Those are just facts. Just wanna eat it. Um no facts aren't I don't bloopers. Know.
You're like we're in the jungles of Colombia. Oh, they're doing great. They're shutting the door so nice. For like Thank nine you. fucking episodes. We'll never get out. All right. Sorry. True. Let me, let, save, it, save it, Dan. Yeah. Save it. Save it. 